This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Junior Dos Santos back in the heavyweight title mix. Darren Till looks to do the same this weekend in the welterweight division. Conor McGregor in trouble with the law. Valentina Shevchenko defending her flyweight title against Jessica I at UFC 235. Anthony Smith answers the call to face Alexander Gustafsson in Sweden. We are joined today by Ian Heinisch, who fights Tom Breeze on the UFC card in London this weekend and has an unbelievable life story. And Canadian Sarah Kaufman joins us. She has entered the PFL Women's Lightweight Tournament to try to win a million dollars by beating Kayla Harrison. And she might not even get the million dollars if she beats Kayla Harrison because she has to beat her, might not have to... Might have to face her twice. Might have to face her in the regular season and in the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to do that. They'll probably just uh, have it aligned so that their stars will cross in the finale. That's what makes the most sense. The two, probably the two biggest favorites in that tournament. Uh, thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. And to those listening to the podcast, please leave a review. Tell your friends. We appreciate your patronage. Uh, no Joe this week, unfortunately. So uh, we continue to roll on. Cedric Dumbay in France gets the win in glory. That must have been cool for Joe to call, seeing the home crowd pop for Cedric Dumbay. But let's get down to brass tacks because Junior Dos Santos is back in the heavyweight mix. Three wins in a row. And now Francis Ngannou could be next for him. A fight that was originally scheduled for UFC 215 in Edmonton, Alberta. Never happened, but no time like the present. It would be cool to see JDS against Francis Ngannou. Junior Dos Santos is a guy who I think, you know, he's got to count his lucky stars that Stipe Miocic is no longer the champion. Because Stipe dispatched him in the first round. It's going to be tough, a tough sell to get him another shot at Stipe Miocic, even though he does have a win over Miocic earlier in both their careers. But I just don't understand how it's going to be possible for him to do that. I mean, if he smokes Francis Ngannou if that fight ever ends up happening then I mean you got to give the guy a title shot regardless of what happened in the previous fight but I mean time will tell but you know Junior Dos Santos looked good apparently Derek Lewis was battling a plethora of injuries going into the fight according to Helen Yee who spoke to his camp and was told that he had a torn ACL and PCL I think it was or MCL one of the two going into the fight refused to get it repaired and refused to pull out of the fight which is crazy talk I don't know how you could uh, you could do that but uh I mean, he, he threw that big punch after that body shot, and if he would have connected with that, that would have been unbelievable. But uh, he, was, he was really hurt. I thought he was playing possum at first, so did the broadcast team, and then it was clear that he was pretty hurt. Got hurt to the body. You know, Junior Dos Santos chipped away. He did a good job at, uh, at going to the body, making it a long night for Derek Lewis, and uh, he did just that, scoring a win in the second round of that fight. So uh, kudos to Junior Dos Santos. You know, every now and then, a UFC card will fall flat, and I think that this one did. It was, you know, not a very big crowd, not a very loud crowd, and a lot of decisions in a row. That's always the calling card of a a card that does not live up to uh, its potential. We saw six out of seven fights in a row go to decision. Five of which, rather, were unanimous decisions, which means they were fairly lopsided. Although one of those unanimous decisions was very questionable. That's the Bogoy ivanov fight win over uh, Ben Rothwell. 29-28 29-28 on all judges' cards, despite being a very close fight. Uh, it was the first time that two heavyweight fights, three-round heavyweight fights, went the distance in a long, long time. So, uh, 
you know, not a good look, unfortunately, for this card. I thought that, uh, you know, it started off well. You had that, that great fight between uh, Alex White and Dan Moret, where Alex White kind of channeled his uh, inner strength to make it happen. And Alex Morono with that, uh, that crazy win over Zach Otto, first-round finish. Matt Chanel looking great against Louis Smolka in the bantamweight division. Matt Chanel looked, uh, he looked really good. Smolka uh, didn't have much to offer in that fight, unfortunately, for him. Uh, it was a nice comeback story when he won his, his first fight back. He's been uh, sober for some time, and uh, you know his uh, inability to remain sober in the first chapter of his UFC career uh, hindered his abilities, and uh, unfortunately he's unable to get a win over Matt Chanel. Benil Dariush gets the finish over Drew Dober. Quite the finish. Nice submission armbar. You know, Dober had the fight, looked like he had a, a solid amount of control in that fight. But uh, Benil Darius doing what Benil Darius does best, which is his grappling. Drew Dober took him down. Bad idea. And we saw what happened. Nico Price versus Tim Means somehow doesn't win fight of the night, which is absurd to me. That was an unbelievable tilt for as long as it lasted. Means started chipping away at Nico Price, rocked him a couple times. Then Price threw a vicious counter, dropped Means, and Means unfortunately broke his leg on the way down. And, uh... Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos does what Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos does. First round finish over Curtis Millinder. Again, I, I didn't understand the line and why it was so why he was an underdog. Not not just a close line, but why he was an underdog in that one. He wins his seventh straight fight. He looks like he's legit. Doesn't move up the rankings for whatever reason. I can't explain these things to you. You see Anthony Rocco Martin getting a decision win over Sergio Morais and entering the ra- the rankings at fifteenth. Yet you don't see a guy like Zaleski Dos Santos with a seventh straight win move up. I, I just can't comprehend these things, unfortunately. But it is what it is. And we move forward. We've got a great card in London coming up this weekend. Unfortunately, it's not on TSN. It's uh, exclusive to Fight Pass in Canada. Uh, that's as a result of, of our new rights deal. We have uh, eight cards this year that will be exclusive to Fight Pass, international cards specifically. This happens to fall into that basket and uh, despite being a great card, we unfortunately are unable to bring it to you on TSN. However, if you do have a Fight Pass subscription, you will be able to get it there. Uh, this is a, a really solid card, and we'll have Darren Till on the show a little bit later on to talk about this particular card. But let's get to some uh, some topics first. Conor McGregor arrested in Miami Beach on Monday. Not a great look. For uh, Conor McGregor, apparently grabbed a, a phone of a, an individual who was trying to take a, a photo of him, smashed it on the ground, and then took it with him. That's uh, the allegations that were presented to the Miami Beach Police Department, and McGregor was taken in, charged with two felony, uh, two felony charges, one of strong arm robbery, and one of uh, I believe it was public. It was either mischief or. Uh, of property. I can't. I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. But uh, he's out on bail, and uh, posted uh, something on his Instagram account about how he, you know, patience is something that he needs to work on, and that he appreciates his fans. So uh, the arraignment hearing, from what I understand, will be in uh, mid-April, and we'll see what's going on from there. Valentina, not much more to say about that. I mean, this is his second arrest in less than a year. For an incident that involves damage to property. And, uh, you know, I don't really know what to say. I'm not a litigator. I, I don't know what uh, the charges uh, mean. 
from talking to somebody who uh, is very familiar with crime in the area that that works on uh, the crime beat in uh, Miami-Dade. A third-degree felony carries a max of five years in prison each, and those are two third-degree felonies, but he doesn't think that uh, that will end up what happens. Probably will be a probation, community service type deal like uh, the situation in Brooklyn from uh, from his expertise. So that's what we're looking at with Conor McGregor. And um, he's, again, out on bail. No fight booked for him uh, right now. The rumor is that uh, he was offered a co-main event slot at International Fight Week against Cowboy Cerrone and said no because it was a co-main event. And uh, you really can't blame him for that. Putting Conor McGregor in the co-main event is uh, not a very good idea if you're trying to market a card. Because you're diminishing his star power by making it a co-main event. And by not having him front and center on a card, you're really diminishing your own sales potential. Like, there's not a single... You could put Conor McGregor against anybody in the lightweight or featherweight division on any given card. And there's not a single fight in the UFC that's a bigger fight than that that would draw more. Like, if you took Jones versus Cormier at heavyweight and made that a pay-per-view headliner, and you took McGregor versus Cowboy and made it a headliner... For a non like a non title fight, McGregor versus Cowboy outsells it, and uh, you, you can feel free to challenge me on that. But I think that it's it, I think that's actually very obvious that, that it would it would outsell whatever the biggest other fight that the promotion could make would be. And that's no disrespect to those individuals; it just speaks to the star power that Conor McGregor has built along with the promotion that has really launched him into a different stratosphere. So that's what I think. W- why I think that's just silly. It's just ludicrous that they would want to make him a co-main event attraction instead of the, the headliner of a card. Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I booked for UFC 238. No word on if that's going to be the main event. But uh, let, me, let me go look at UFC.com because I saw that they had, put, they had added it to their website. But usually they do TBD versus TBD if they're going to put a different uh, headliner for, uh, for a card. So let's see what it says here. You pull up the card, UFC 238, TBD versus TBD. They haven't announced it officially as the main event. And if you click on the the, the event itself, still says TBD versus TBD. Women's flyweight title bout, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I. It'll be the third time that the flyweight title is on the line, the first time it's being defended. So uh, Jessica I, the number one contender right now in the division, gets uh, the title shot. On the same card, they added uh, Caitlin Jukagian versus jo- Joanne Calderwood, likely as uh, a backup plan in case anything goes wrong with Jessica I or Shevchenko. And Tatiana Suarez versus Nina Ansarov. That's a great fight. In the women's strawweight division, according to the website, number three versus number three, which doesn't seem possible, but let's uh, put that aside because that's, that's a fun one. Nina Ansarov. It, you know, according to to uh, our award show at the end of the last year, in my opinion, the most improved fighter of 2018. Had that huge win over Ca- uh, Claudia Gadelia at uh, UFC 231 in Toronto. So that's uh, UFC 238 starting to shape up in Chicago, Illinois. A lot more to be added, obviously, with only three announced on that particular card. Anthony Smith said he wanted to take a, a prolonged break. Decides against it. Alexander Gustafsson needs an opponent for the main event. June 1st, Sweden. Anthony Smith answers the call. He said on uh, the Ariel Hawani show on Monday that his wife signed off on it. 
he's decided to take the fight despite wanting to not want to not uh, not wanting to fight again in 2019. But answers the call. Big opportunity for him to get back in the title mix. And I was talking about this uh, with a colleague earlier, Mike Beauvais, who works for TSN.ca. Uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter and you like humor, I'd consider him a must-follow. That's B-E-A-U-V-A-I-S, Mike Beauvais. And he was saying that he thinks this is a perfect matchup, and I, I agreed with him. Because if you take a Johnny Walker or you, you take a you know Dominic Reyes, depending on what happens this weekend, if he gets a win over Uzdemir, you put him against Gustafsson, you're really you know taking diminishing someone's stock as a potential title challenger. Anthony Smith, we've seen contend for the title already. So this is just a good litmus test for both of these men to see where they're at, to see who the better contender is. Now, I don't think Gustafson's going to get another shot at Jones. He's lost twice to him. But Smith sure could, if, especially if he looks good against Gustafson in Sweden. And uh, I, I'm interested to see what Alexander Gustafson has left because keep in mind when he fought Jones, he actually had a longer layoff than John Jones did. And he looked terrible in that fight. I mean, he was trying to implement a similar strategy to what he did in the previous fight against Jones, and Jones completely uh, dominated him. He just took away his best tool, which was his boxing. He dictated the range, and Gustafson didn't have anything for him. But against Anthony Smith, it'll be interesting because Gustafson, I think, will be a much larger athlete. And I think a lot of Gustafson's skills are going to... uh, be better than Smith's in, in certain areas. Now, Smith, I think, is the the better power puncher. Uh, I do think that Smith, from a grappling standpoint, probably isn't as good as Gustafson, but has a lot of uh, things that he can do if Gustafson t- decides to take him down. So I think that there are areas where Smith can have some advantages in this fight, but I think Gustafson is probably going to be the favorite in this fight, so we'll see how that goes. I might be wrong on that. But then again, I might be right, which would be great. UFC fight night in London, England, this weekend, headlined by Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal. Now, I love this fight. And the reason why is because even though we've seen Darren Till knock out Cowboy, we've also seen Masvidal knock out Cowboy. Is it a, I think it was a knockout, not a submission. I'm going to just double-check that. I don't want to... I hate being inaccurate. I'm, I'm almost certain it was a KO, though. Yeah, first, second-round KO over uh, Donald Cerrone. That's Till's biggest win in terms of how he won that fight. I mean, I think... From a status standpoint, the win over Wonderboy Thompson was a better win. They both fought Wonderboy Thompson as well in recent years. Masvidal losing by a split decision. Was that, uh, sorry, a unanimous decision. Till winning by split decision, five rounds in Liverpool. But the thing is, I don't think that their performances against Stephen Thompson and, like, the MMA math behind that is flawed. Two different styles brought to the table against Wonderboy and I think that what we're going to see in this particular fight is uh, more of a stand-up affair. Two guys that are, are going to try to put power into everything they have. Jorge Masvidal, as I pointed out on Twitter this week, his last knockout loss was 11 years ago to Rodrigo Dam, who's more of a submission-based fighter. But if you go back and watch it, Dam dropped him, and the ref just jumped in and stopped it. And Masvidal had his wits about him. That was just a bad stoppage. So if you don't even take that into account, he's never been knocked out at least legitimately. But the reason why I love this is because you're going to get to really see what Darren Till's about. I don't think we learned that much from Darren Till in those last two fights, the Wonderboy fight and the Woodley fight. I think in the Wonderboy fight, what we learned was he was good at coming up with strategies. And then against Woodley, you can say that that was refuted because he didn't have a very good strategy against Woodley. In fact, he didn't land a single strike during the whole fight, and it was a two-round fight. 
Didn't go full two rounds, but you know what I'm saying. He looked awful in that fight despite a, a really good weight cut. He had a terrible weight cut against Wonderboy and won that fight and had a wonderful weight cut against Woodley and lost that fight. So I still think that we need to find out what Darren Till is all about, and I think this is the fight because this is the stylistic matchup that Darren Till always wants. He wants to get into a scrap with somebody. And if you want to get in a scrap with somebody, Jorge Masvidal is your guy. Now, Jorge Masvidal, since that Cerrone, uh, since that Cerrone win has lost to Demian Maia. It was a decision lost to Maia. Split decision. Nothing to be upset about there. I mean, when you fight Demian Maia, if you can get a split with Demian Maia, he's one of the toughest guys at 170, and then a unanimous loss to Stephen Thompson. And when you're the type of fighter that Masvidal is, Thompson's a nightmare matchup for him. That's just calling it what it is. But when you look at guys with a similar type of fighting style to Till, guys that push forward, guys that want to get into striking battles, exchanges, Ross Pearson, Jake Ellenberger, Donald Cerrone, Jorge Masvidal was successful against all of those guys. All, whenever he's in these sort of fights, he is very successful. This is going to be his 46th professional mixed martial arts fight. And we also know that Masvidal had a lot of these kind of unsanctioned backyard fights back in the day. So this guy's been fighting for a while. He's a seasoned veteran. Darren Till still pretty much in his infancy as a professional mixed martial artist. I mean, he has 19 professional fights under his belt. But he's, he's young. He's 26 years old. Just turned 26 in recent months. So when you keep that in mind, I think that this is going to be a really interesting matchup because you'll, you'll get to see the best out of both these guys. I think that this is a matchup that's going to be the best out of both of these individuals. Hill's got that crazy power. At least that's what they say. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen him knock guys down, but he's only finished. you got to keep in mind, he only has one TKO victory or KO victory in his UFC career. Oh, sorry, two. He's got the Wendell Oliveira one as well. I should I, I take that back. But the others have been going the distance and the loss to Woodley. So how much power does Darren Till have? Because if he's not able to stop a guy like Masvidal, who's, you know, fought a lot of his career at lightweight, whereas Till is probably the size of a middleweight, then what do we learn here? That's what I'm interested to see. I want to see how that pans out. Ben Askren will be a very interested party as he'll be in attendance for that card. And he's been calling out Darren Till left, right, and center, as well as pretty much everybody else. So that's going to be something to behold, having him down there. We'll see what, uh, if anything, any shenanigans happen. But you know what? Uh, if Askren and Till come face-to-face, who knows? I mean, Darren Till is usually a very respectful individual, but he's not, he doesn't back down from anybody. I don't think he likes when people talk trash about him. I think that's why him and Masvidal have such a great mutual respect for one another. They both have a very similar mindset. They both just want to be... A scary person. They both want to be the man. And they they talk themselves up. They don't put their opponents down. And I think that's uh, what makes this, again, another reason why it's an interesting matchup. The co-main event, I think, is also very interesting. you got Leon Edwards versus Gunnar Nelson. Now, I don't want to say that a win over Nelson is going to prove that Leon Edwards is legit because he's got a win over Cerrone, which seems to be the litmus test for 170, although he's now moved back down to lightweight. But also a win over Vicente Luque, a win over Albert Tumanov. These are good wins. Brian Barbarena, we know how tough that guy is. So I think that, uh, if anything, we're going to see what Gunnar Nelson's about more than Leon Edwards because Gunnar Nelson's been alternating wins and losses. I mean, he started his career with four straight wins, loses to Rick Story, a split decision, beats Brandon Thatch, loses to Damian Maya, beats Tumanov and Joban, and then loses to Ponzinibbio, beats Alex Oliveira. So the, he's got a lot of good wins too. 
You got Tumanov, who's a, a very tough opponent. In fact, Tumanov's only two losses uh, in the UFC, aside from his debut loss to uh, Ildemir Alcantara in the split decision, is uh, to Gunnar Nelson and, and Leon Edwards, back-to-back losses. So that's a mutual win that those two guys have. A win over Cowboy Oliveira, no joke. Alan Joban's a tough guy to stop as well. Got knocked out by Ponzinibbio, which a lot of people do. But um, looking at uh, at their track records, like I think a win over Cowboy Oliveira is huge. Cowboy Oliveira is a tough guy. But uh, Gunnar Nelson, you know, we, let's see how consistent this guy can be. And I think that he's the underdog in this fight, and I don't agree with it. I think he should be the favorite. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if that ends up panning out. But uh, yeah, so I mean, to me, that's the that's last week. I said the line on the card that didn't make sense was Dos Santos versus. Billinder. And this uh, particular week, I think that it's Edwards versus Nelson. Not that Nelson's that much better of a fighter than Edwards. I just think stylistically it's a really bad matchup for uh, Leon Edwards. So we'll see uh, how that one p- plays out. I think that Nelson's going to be... If he has, if he is able to get it to the ground, he's going to submit Leon Edwards. Um, Edwards is just not... not like the, the worst kind of matchup for a guy like uh, Gunnar Nelson is an aggressive fighter who has one-punch knockout power. Someone is going to press forward and stop him. Or somebody who's a better grappler than him, like a Damian Maya. But uh, if someone's able to keep it on the feet and uh, outstrike him, that's a nightmare matchup for him. Leon Edwards, I don't know. I mean, what are his grappling credentials that make you feel like he is going to be able to stuff, to not get taken down? He's been taken down in three of his last four fights. He was taken down four times by Dominic Waters. Six times by Usman. Now, that's not a shocker, but getting taken down four times by Dominic Waters is, uh, that's a red flag. Because as soon as this fight gets to the ground, Nelson's going to win. Plain and simple. And I, if I end up being wrong about that, I end up being wrong about that. But that's that's my take on it. I think I don't think that, ne- that Edwards has the grappling credentials to hang with a guy like Nelson on the ground. Volkan Uzdemir against, in my my eyes, the best up-and-comer in the light heavyweight division, and I'm, I'm sure in the eyes of many. I don't think I'm hot, providing a hot take here. That's Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes, 10-0 as a professional. Now, when he started out beating guys like uh, Joachim Christensen, Jeremy Kimball, those are good wins, whatever. They were very impressive wins. One was in 30 seconds, one was in the other in the first round. But when he got that quick knockout over Cannoneer in the first three minutes, and then he beat Ovin St. Preux, it was a unanimous decision, but it really should have been a stoppage. He, he pretty much knocked St. Preux out at the buzzer in the third round. Those are impressive wins, and th- those are the things that make me think that Reyes is here to stay and is going to be a contender. Now, if he's able to beat Volkan Uzdemir inside the distance in impressive fashion like he has his other fights, save for, again, the technicality against Ovin St. Preux, I think we're going to have a new title contender, and Uzdemir's going to have lost three in a row. Now, when you look at Uzdemir's track record on his path to getting a title shot, Ovin St. Preux split decision, very close fight. A lot of people thought St. Preux won that fight. Misha Surkinov knocked out in 28 seconds. Now, the same thing basically happened to Misha Surkinov against Johnny Walker. Was it also 28 seconds? 38 seconds. So it took Walker 10, 10 more seconds. 
And then Jimmy Manawa knocks him out in 42 seconds. And from what we've seen about Manawa, his best days are behind him. So though that was his path to a title shot. Then a loss to Cormier. Submission loss to Anthony Smith, although he had a lot of success early on. So this is a good one, a good way to see how good Volkan Uzdemir is. If he's able to beat Dominic Reyes, I will be impressed. I will be very impressed, and he'll be right back in that title mix. He's never fought John Jones, and he can definitely make a name for himself and make a statement. But Dominic Reyes is a guy who I think, in my opinion, is the most intriguing matchup for John Jones. I mean, Johnny Walker is intriguing too because we don't really know what he has to offer. But I think that if you look at the athleticism of a Dominic Reyes, keep in mind this guy was a safety in college at six foot four. That's you got to have a lot of. Uh, athleticism to be a six foot four safety. He's a guy that I think possesses a lot of interesting traits that will pose a problem for John Jones. I really do. I think he's the guy in this division that can pose the biggest threat to John Jones, especially if we see him beat Volkan Uzdemir in, in dominant fashion. So that's one to watch. That's the fight that I might be the most interested in on this card. Nathaniel Wood looked phenomenal in his last outing. He'll take on Jose Alberto Quinones. Now, um, the thing about uh, Quinones is he's very underrated. I really liked him on Tough Latin America. And there's always going to be recency bias when you see someone have a dominant performance. Now, Nathaniel Wood, he uh, he had that ni- nice win over Johnny Eduardo and that, that great win over Andre Ewell. But what is Andre Ewell? Like, we've seen Henan Brow get destroyed recently. He made his debut against Henan Doral, won a split decision against Henan Doral. So is a win over Andre Ewell that, like, I mean, he again, he dominated Andre Ewell. I don't want to take anything away from Nathaniel Wood, but then you look at a guy like Quinones and his track record. I mean, his only loss was to Alejandro Perez. He was a three-in-one three fighter at the time. He barely, you know, had barely been training. So since then, he's been training for four years. Now, his wins over Leonardo Morales, Joey Gomez, Diego Rivas, Teruto Ishihara. I don't think any of these guys are even in the UFC anymore. Was supposed to face Sean O'Malley, and now he's got Nathaniel Wood. And he's been training. He trains at Alliance MMA from uh, what I last remember. He's got good training behind him. You see how big of an underdog he is in this fight. And I just think there's a lot of recency bias behind that particular line. I do think that Wood should be favored for sure. But uh, I think that Quinones is a tough guy and is going to be a tough out. Claudio Silva versus Danny Roberts. Now, Claudio Silva recently came off a very long layoff. It was uh, nearly a four-year layoff after he had beaten Leon Edwards by split decision. Comes back, beats Nordin Taleb. Very impressive first-round finish. And this is another line that confuses me because I think, you know, based on what we've seen from Danny Roberts recently, I don't think that this is a guy... That should be this close. Like, it shouldn't be this close. I think Silva's uh, going to be a much uh, better fighter than Danny Roberts going into this one. I mean, he could prove me wrong, but just looking at that particular matchup, I think that Silva's got a lot more ways to win this fight. So those are, those are the main card fights. There's also the Battle of Wales, Jack Marshman versus John Phillips. The white Mike Tyson, John Phillips. Uh, Marshman favored in that one. I, I, I agree with that uh, assessment. Some other interesting things. Tom Breeze versus Ian Heinish, I think, is a very, very underrated fight. Both guys only have one loss on the professional record. Tom Breeze is a very, very underrated fighter. And you can, when you look at the line for this fight, you can tell that. Because, uh, you know, and I mentioned this in the interview with Ian that's coming up. Faraz Zahabi was here one day with uh, Rory McDonald, and I asked him, you know, who in your gym right now do you think has, you know, has the potential to be a future champion? He said Tom Breeze. Now, Tom Breeze isn't with 
uh, TriStar anymore. But that speaks volumes when you've got a guy like Faraz Zahabi saying that about you, considering the others that are in that gym. So uh, he's he's one to watch, and uh, he's moved up to middleweight. He looked great in his last fight at middleweight. And uh, he's going to have his hands full with Ian Heinish, who's a very tough out. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that one as well. And I mentioned uh, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, we've got a guy named uh, Nick, uh, and if I'm butchering his name, I apologize, uh, Nick Nagimurianu, who's Romanian. He's he's on the card. And uh, he his wins have come over guys. One guy was 2-15, and 15, one guy was 10-13, and 13, and one guy was 12-41. and 41. And the guy lasted two rounds with him. 12-41. and 41. Yuri Gorbenko is the gentleman's name. He's now 12-47. and 47. So he hasn't won a fight since then. 12 and 41. And this guy's a big favorite over Safarov. I mean, Safarov's 8 and 2, sure. He hasn't won a UFC fight yet. But he's at least beating guys with good records. I mean, 25 and 10 isn't anything to sniff at. But another guy, 4 and 1. I mean, 12 and 41. It's a real record. Why would you keep doing it? I don't know. I'd love to talk to somebody like that one day. I want to. I want to get in contact with somebody who has like a a two and forty record and be like, why do you keep doing this? I mean, you must love it, but you're not very good at it. That's that's resilience right there. If you can continue your career and just keep losing and losing and losing, and you just keep doing it, I mean, I, I respect you. I think that that's you know that speaks volumes about how 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 persistent you are. Mark Diakizi versus uh, Joe Duffy, another really good one that I'm looking forward to because, you know, Diakizi was a guy that I think a lot of people thought was going to do really well in the sport. He's lost three in a row. Came into the UFC, won three in a row. But uh, he's got great power, a lot of, you know, a lot of power, kind of underrated. And Joe Duffy's been out for uh, for a bit. He's been out for over a year. He got injured in that James Vick fight. Was supposed to fight uh, Ross Pearson in December. And then was supposed to fight Ismagulov and got injured. So Pearson got injured, then he got injured when he was supposed to fight Ismagulov. That would have been a good one. Ismagulov has looked really good. But uh, Joe Duffy against Mark Diakizi, that's a, that's a fun one because uh, we're going to see where those two guys are at as well. I always like fights like that. I like fights that are matched up well where you can see where exactly someone is at in their career. So uh, with that, let's get to the aforementioned Ian Heinish. And if you haven't read this guy's story, and I, I, again, I mentioned this in the interview, go to the Players' Tribune because it's such an interesting uh, inter- interview, uh, sorry, article that he wrote, self-penned column. And also, one of the best columnists in the game, Chuck Mindenhall, just did a, a piece on Ian Heinish. So make sure you check that out as well. And here he is, the man himself, Ian Heinish, joins us on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. All right, joining me now on the TSN MMA show, facing Tom Breeze this weekend, UFC in London, it's Ian Heinish. Ian, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, my pleasure. Now, uh, last weekend you were at UFC 235. Unfortunately, your teammate uh, Anthony Smith falling short. His story to get to uh, the title shot is, is pretty unbelievable. Uh, what did you gain from, uh, from the experience of, of being there and watching your teammate in action uh, at the highest level of MMA? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously it wasn't it wasn't our night, but um, Anthony did some good things, like with his takedown defense, and obviously he didn't fight the fight that we know he 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 usually does. I mean, he's only went to one decision in his forty fights, and so either goes in there and, and knocks him out or gets knocked out, and 
uh, you know, he, he just hesitated a little bit and only Anthony knows why. And so we learned just leave it all out there, man. That's, that's what I took from that. You know, you got to really just leave it all out there. Cause that's a bad feeling walking away, knowing you could have gave a little more. Yeah, Mark Montoya, your coach, uh, was in the corner encouraging him to do just that. And, I mean, Factory X has had such an incredible year uh, in terms of the UFC. So nothing for Anthony to be ashamed of. Uh, in fact, he should he should leave with his head high. You know, he could have uh, taken an out, probably won the title, uh, you know, if he would have told the ref and the official that he couldn't continue, even though he, he knew he could have in his heart. So, uh, you know, as my colleague Robin Black, who works with me here at TSN, said in the video, his daughters will gain... So much from him and, and doing that and showing that kind of uh, that kind of courage and honesty um, more than him becoming a champion. So I think that uh, that's certainly a, a good thing to take back from that experience. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, the money he would have made by just staying down and but, you know, the character uh, superseded everything and he rose above that and he felt he could keep going and, and he he did and fought his heart out and. So yeah, I mean, there's there's no no one who can question Anthony's character, and he's got a bright future. So nothing uh, to hold his head um, low for that, you know. Now Anthony's ascent to the championship is very impressive as to how he got there. Now where you are today is probably more impressive based on your background and your history. If people have not read your article in the the um, Players Tribune, it's an unbelievable story of perseverance. Uh, from where you were at uh, before you became a, a professional fighter to where you are now. Um, and basically, the, the, the long of the short is you, you got into a lot of problems with the law early on in, in, you know, during your teenage years, uh, selling drugs in Denver. And now you've come full circle in Denver after some stops in Morocco, Spain, all over Europe. Um, how, how have you gotten to this point? What do you think was the, the thing that, that triggered the, the change in your life that turned everything around? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the time, getting a three-and-a-half-year in prison in, in a foreign prison, you know, it, it, it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, but it turned out to be the best because it gave me some time to reflect on my life, um, some to fall back in love with training and really understand what my goals and my aspirations were, you know, finding a relationship with God like I never had and um, just realizing that I didn't belong where I was at and knowing that I was going to get to where I want to go. That's winning the UFC belt. And, you know, I really had to continue to make choices and I still have to make choices on the daily to keep me on that path. And it, I'm not, I'm never going to say it was easy, but just overcoming adversity. And to this day, man, I mean, this camp was filled with adversity. So um, it's nothing new to me though. You know, I'm going to just keep moving forward. I have a great team, a great support system, family, uh, girlfriend right now that has just been such a huge support, and they are, are just a blessing and help keep me on track. What are some of those stumbling blocks that you face on a daily basis? Um, just a few things for this camp alone. I mean, because of the fights in the U.K., I didn't know the U.K. is part of the EU. I was received a five-year ban after my prison sentence over there, and... So the the ban was up in January this year, and uh, I actually wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do this fight. And thanks to the UFC and my buddy in Spain, uh, we made it happen, and, and it's gonna it's gonna be a go. And my dad had a stroke two weeks ago. He's, he's doing a lot better now, but my coach ended up not being able to 
my head coach is not able to come because another teammate's fighting in Russia and because we thought the fight was going to possibly fall off. He had to commit to them and um, just a lot of crazy stuff has been thrown at me this camp, but you know, I'm still going to stay on course and I'm going to go to London and take care of business. Well, based on what you've gone through previously in your life, this is probably uh, doesn't really sniff that, but it still is a lot to go through during a fight camp, of course. Yeah, you know, uh, definitely. That's why, you know, people say, like, you know, doesn't it scare you and stuff like that to fight in a cage? I mean, we're fighting in a cage where there's a referee who's going to pull us off. I mean, I was locked in a cage where no one was going to save us. If, there, if we were lucky, a guard would come, you know, the next morning. And so, you know, it, I mean, to be able to compete and do something I love and, you know, to have a purpose, which purpose is so huge. If you're finding yourself in trouble, it's probably because you don't have a purpose in life. So, you got to search inside you. You got to pray on it, figure out your God-given destiny, and then when you find it, man, it, it changes everything. They talk about fight or flight being part of human nature. You said you were living basically minute to minute uh, back back while you were in prison, and even before then, when you were in Europe. Um, how much does the flight fight or flight mentality help you in the cage? Does that is that something that's just it's so innate within you now that it's part of your your nature? Yeah, I mean, it's like when you're always in a struggle and in that that fight mode, you know, it kind of it kind of numbs out a little bit and you're not and you're not you don't get those same nervous feelings about it. You're just you get comfortable being uncomfortable basically. And uh, you know, that enables you to do a lot more than cuz fear fear just is I mean, false evidence appearing real and that will distract you, it can slow you down, can make you hesitate. And in fighting, there's no room for any of that. So, I mean, the less, the least fear, the less fear as a person. It's good to have some fear because that keeps you on your toes, keeps the adrenaline pumping. But you don't want to let it uh, be so great that it um, it slows you down from doing your purpose. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because that interests me in terms of fear being based on false evidence. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's like. Fear is not real. I mean, you, it's like pressure. Like, I mean, you, with pressure, either coal's made or diamonds, you know, it's, it's a privilege and it's, it's how you perceive it, you know, and the same thing with fear. Like most of the things you're, you're scared of and you're worrying about are never going to come to fruition. So it's like, why waste energy and time even worrying about that? So, and it's actually very sinful to worry and fear. So it's, uh, it's kind of rebelling against God. So, I mean, we're all going to have fear. We're all going to have anxiety. But what we try to do is get away from that and, and have faith and replace that with faith that everything is going to work out. It's going to be all right. God's will will be done. And whatever it is, it is. And I'm going to have peace during all this. And so that's the kind of, I mean, you have to feed your mind. Your mind has to be trained. It's not just going to happen with this mindset. It's a constant feeding. it. It's like you have to feed your body healthy food if you want to be jacked uh, in the future. And it's going to take a while. So it's the same with your mind. Early in your life, your ADHD played a big role in, in how you ended up um, selling drugs and, and having issues in, with educa- you know, the education system and all of that. Um, how, has, how have you channeled that ADHD now, now as an adult, as a professional fighter, um, and as somebody who strugg- you know, has struggled with ADD in the past? Um, it, it is interesting to me that you're able to focus on certain things in, in terms of improving your skills. 
yeah, you know, it's it's kind of, I feel like age helps a little bit with ADHD. And, you know, I mean, obviously them giving, uh, you know, a 14-year-old boy basically legal meth, you know, amphetamine when uh, in a bigger prescription. And, of course, with my huge addictive personality, me uh, playing the system so I can get it to the highest dosage as fast as I can because my addictive personality just completely takes over. Then giving me Xanax, you know, just, just kickstarting my life of addiction. And, you know, I mean, now it's like I use my addictive personality to get my reps in. Because what does an addict do? It constantly does the same thing over and over. So basically what I do is I learn to move in the gym and I do it over and over and over. So I channel all that addictive personality stuff, the good stuff. And the ADHD is something that you just kind of have to control. I use yoga, I use prayer and, and other things, you know, and, and the good thing is with, uh, with fighting, when you're fighting, it's the kind of the ADD goes away because it's just, you have to be in the moment, you have to be present. And the second you start thinking and mind starts wandering, you know, you're going to get hit. There's going to be repercussions. So, you know, it's all about finding what, what's good for you, what works for you. And just me is being awakened and seeing how the system is, the medical system, giving you all these treating symptoms and not actually treating um, the actual root of the problem that you have. And then also the prison system, how, how the American prison system doesn't reform you. It's just a business. And, you know, after fighting, I have aspirations to to fight both of those corrupt systems. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about next. Is When you were in Europe, you said that the prison system was meant to rehabilitate Whereas in the U.S., it becomes kind of a vicious uh, circle for a lot of inmates. They they get in and out and in and out and in and out of, the, of different jails because it's a private system. And it's there as a, you know, in a capitalist system to make money as opposed to actually helping people. Um, what do you think you can do co- to combat that? And what do you hope to do in the future to make that system um, improve, really, in, in the U.S.? Because it's, uh, it is a, a massive problem in terms of both lobbying uh, as well as just mass incarceration. Yeah, you know, I mean, the prison system in America is like, I got introduced to it at Rikers Island. You know, I got a real dose of it. Uh, the U.S. Marshal uh, transporting me 11 days in the back of a van with no heat um, back to the Colorado and you know, just seeing how it worked. And I mean, in Spain, I could wear my street clothes. If I had a real girlfriend that was legit, she could come visit me two conjugal visits a month. You know, I, I, I could go to Spanish class. I could get an education. I went to wrestling program. I went to my boxing program. I started an MMA program. I went to church. I mean, it was a life of, uh, it was reforming me and I could actually continue to live life. As in the American system, you know, they treat people like animals. And when you get treated like an animal, you turn into one. And so the thing that, I mean, it's it's a really hard thing to, um, you know, because it's so big and it makes so much money. But what my plan is, one of them, is to start a halfway house that is uh, a slash MMA gym. But the kids actually live there. They train there. They work there. They go to class there. They do everything internally there. And they have to train full time to complete this program. And instead of, you know, 25-year-olds and below who get a prison sentence, who have no guidance, no family, no father figure, uh, and they get these prison sentences because they're just raised by the streets and they're super athletic, let them give them a purpose, give them a, you know, let them find God, let them find their way. And, and you know, I believe this will, first off, change people's lives. And second off, I think it will, it will produce champions. 
you ended up in Rikers Island when you were uh, sent back to the U.S. Had you not been training in those jails uh, in Europe, do you think you would have made it? Yeah, so, I mean, with Rikers, it was, you know, I mean, you could do all the boxing training, MMA, kickboxing in the world, but basically the what, what kept me, what made me survive that situation was being with someone who actually did eight years in a, in a Chicago prison, uh, my buddy Blair, and he, you know, it, it was little tricks of, of fighting in prison, you know, when someone pulls a knife on you, you act like you're scared and, and, you're, and you put your hands up like you're defenseless. And then right when they put their guard down, you crack them, you know, like things like that. Like, I mean, it was more of a prison style fighting and uh, his knowledge passed on to me is what really made me survive in there. How long were you in there for? Um, you know, I think I was in there too long, but no, it was only two or three months. It wasn't, it wasn't very long, but because I was a fugitive, I was in maximum security, which I didn't know. They, the lawyer begged me to go to protect custody, but I, I just figured I already did two years, two and a half years. Like, well, there's nothing to be scared of. This is my life. But I didn't realize that all the white boys go to protect custody. And when I was walking to my getting walked to the block by the guard, he just said, hey, you must be one bad white boy. And I was like, why is that? He goes, I never see one of you all in this part of the wing. And I didn't realize where I was going. And, you know, at the end, I mean, it worked out. But there was some serious close calls. And I was taken out right before some bad things were about to happen. So God willing, I survived that. And what's your life like now on the day-to-day? How um, how do you, you keep yourself focused and and continue to grow as, as a human being as well as a mixed martial artist? Yeah, my, my, my day-to-day life, you know, I do what I love now. I, I get to wake up. I get to train. I, you know, I'm very involved with the church. I mentor um, a few people and just help as many people as I can along the way. And, you know, I, the more and more I, I get out there and kind of get more famous, I realize there's so many people out there that have have issues like I have and I'm not I'm not alone and and uh you know they can be inspired by my story and I can help them and I you know can meet up with them and and help them through their struggles cuz I never had a mentor I had I never had anyone that went through what I went through that could kind of help me on my path so I feel it's a responsibility um that I I have it be full circle and because I survived I, I believe I'm here for a purpose and I want my story to inspire people. I want it to be a story of hope. And, you know, I, I mean, I just spoke at a rehab in front of 60 people in California, one of my sponsors, two weeks ago. And, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just doing what I love and, and, and mentoring people and helping as many people as I can. You're going up against a very tough opponent in London, in, uh, in Tom Breeze. Uh, a couple of years ago, Faraz Zahabi was here. And back when Tom was training at... Uh, at TriStar, I asked him who he thought could be a future champion one day, and the name that he said was Tom Breeze. He said Tom Breeze is very high level. Uh, what have you done to prepare for an individual like Tom, who's probably the best opponent you've ever faced? Um, you know, I I haven't changed much, man. We're, you know, with our Gym Factory X, I've been training with Anthony Smith a lot. You know, I've been training with Dustin Jacoby, who's a UFC vet, uh, fought for the world title and in glory and uh i've been training with chris camozzi who's a 20 fight ufc vet 
just, I mean, the list goes on. Zach Cummings, James Krause, um, Sean Choice, who's another glory guy. A lot of tall southpaws. And so I, I just don't feel like he's going to give me anything I haven't seen. And, you know, for me, I, I, I remove the face and the name and I just run through the body. So I feel good about it. Well, you have an incredible story. Again, go to the Players, uh, Players Tribune. Look up Ian Heinisch. It's a, a pretty f- phenomenal story of where you've gotten to. Has anybody, hey, has anybody reached out to you with interest in making a movie about your life? I'm sure somebody has. Yeah, so actually my first televised LFA fight, I was um, picked up and flown out to California for creative artist agency, CAA, who's in direct competition with WME, who owns the UFC. And, you know, they um, wanted to literally make a book and a movie. And Matt Del Piano came in, who's Al Pacino's agent, who made the movie Captain Phillips. And spilled my life story to them. But, you know, honestly, it was a little... It was a little fast. It was a little weird with the contract. They wanted me to fire my current manager without reading their contract. It just didn't work out. And now I've had an, another one approach me about a book. So, uh, yeah, you can expect a book coming out real soon. And I think after I win the belt and solidify the story, uh, I'm expecting a movie in the future for sure. Yeah, well, if you've read the story, you can see why that would uh, why that would be the case. Uh, well, Ian, best of luck to you. It's uh, it was great uh, getting to chat with you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you against uh, Tom Breeze. It's UFC uh, in London in Canada. You can catch it exclusively on Fight Pass. Uh, thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. There he is, Ian Heinish, taking on Tom Breeze this weekend at UFC London. Now, our next guest is somebody who is gunning for two big. Targets. One is Kayla Harrison, and the other one is a million dollars. The checks have cleared, folks. The PFL is here. Because a lot of people had skepticism going into that first season. That the PFL wasn't going to be able to pay people. Nobody was going to watch. And it was going to basically disintegrate. Now, the opposite has happened. Now they've signed with ESPN and TSN up here in Canada. Really, really big reach for their broadcasts. And a really cool format that I thought did really well last year. I think there are some holes in terms of the ranking system that hopefully they can iron out at some point. But they have a a really high caliber of fighter. And even looking at this lightweight division, I was surprised at the kind of fighters that they were able to get on board, like Sarah Kaufman, for example, who normally fights at bantamweight, moving up two weight classes. And you see Larissa Pacheco, and you see a lot of, uh, I think there was an Australian Muay Thai champion. Like there, There are some solid... Girls with some solid resumes that they're bringing in to challenge Kayla Harrison. They're not, they don't want this to be a walk in the park for Kayla Harrison. And I think that Sarah Kaufman poses the biggest threat to, uh, to Kayla Harrison. And, uh, I mean, time will tell the story on that. But uh, I always enjoy talking to Sarah. She's very insightful, very clever, and uh, Canadian. That's always a plus. And she joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Joining me right now is the latest entrant into a PFL tournament, one of two Canadians participating in the women's lightweight division, Sarah Kaufman, who's making the move up from bantamweight to uh, enter this tournament where a million dollars is on the line. So, Sarah, obviously the UFC, I guess, didn't come calling. Uh, You you had been trying to get fights. Girls were turning them down uh, when you had put your name into the hat. How did you end up signing with the PFL? Uh, You know, it was uh, around the holidays. We were watching the finals of last year for the PFL and uh, I guess that would have been New Year's Eve and they're mentioning you know the that they're doing the women's side and I'd thought about it before and I thought you know maybe that's something that I should do um, you know if I at that point hadn't been been 
super active. So that, you know, this is a great opportunity and I like getting paid to fight and I think that I can win this whole thing and make myself a million dollars. So have you had to change basically your body mass for this? I mean, if you were fighting at 135 before, are you walking around a little bit heavier in preparation for fighting bigger uh, athletes than, than you're used to? No, I'm going to walk around the same that I always do. Um, you know, I'm strong for the 135-pound division, and I don't think that putting on weight would be a service for um, my skill set and my advantages in this tournament. And I'm anticipating that I'm probably going to be the smallest one, uh, and that's fine because I, I don't feel weak at my weight. Um, you know, I'll probably end up weighing in probably just under 155 pounds. Okay, well, that's that's good. So you're not going to be weighing in at like 146 or anything like that. Like Dan Henderson when he fought at heavyweight against Fedor in, in Strikeforce at, what was it, 208 or something along those lines? No, I wouldn't anticipate. So I normally do get down to about, you know, 148 when I'm super lean and, and dieting down to make 135. But, uh, you know, what I'm going to be able to do is just train and train full out for the whole time uh, and make sure that I'm fully you know, repleted all the time after every session. Uh, there's going to be no depletion whatsoever because I can nutritionally uh, fill my body with all the nutrients I need to feel awesome. But you know this, I know this, I think the general public knows this. This is a tournament that was tailor-made for Kayla Harrison. 100%. So, I'm here to ruin the party. Yeah, so that's that's what I was going to say. I mean, you, you fought Ronda Rousey before who uh, was obviously judo was her bread and butter. Kayla Harrison, a gold medalist in judo in the Olympics, but far less experienced in terms of the mixed martial arts. Do you think that you're going to be a step ahead of her? Uh, I think I know what I bring to the table, and that's that I'm the best in the world, and uh, this is going to be no different in this scenario. Uh, Kayla, of course, is extremely, extremely talented, especially in judo. I mean, you don't make the Olympics never mind getting two gold medals at two separate Olympics uh, without dedication and talent and skill and athleticism. Uh, And so I know that she brings that to the table, but uh, I'm looking at, you know, she'll likely be the person I fight in the finals and uh, I'm very confident uh, versus Kayla. There's motivation when you're fighting for a belt, but a million dollars is a million dollars. Do you feel like you're going to have added motivation in this particular spot? I think a million dollars is better than a belt. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, like <laughs> it is prize uh, fighting. Belt, belts are shiny, but you know they don't pay the bills. And uh, you know, while I love fighting and I love fighting for money, uh, ultimately I want to be the best. And so, uh, if I was only getting paid ten dollars, um, you know, in a fight versus Kayla, I mean that fight wouldn't happen. But uh, I would fight just as hard regardless of how much I was getting paid once I've decided that I'm committed to that fight. And that's how I look at it. You know, the, the paycheck is, of course, the huge bonus here. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm building my brand. I want to build myself as a fighter. Uh, and I want big finishes, and I want exciting finishes, and I want everyone in the whole world to want to watch me fight uh, and know my name. Where are you going to be training for the most part? Are you going to stay in Victoria, or are you going to go to Las Vegas, or bounce between the two? You know, I have no idea um, really what I'm planning. My home base is always Zuma Martial Arts um, with Adam in Victoria. Uh, you know, definitely being that we're going to be on the short end of of the division, I think I'm probably the shortest by a few inches compared to everyone else. Um, you know, we're definitely going to be looking to, to work with some, some taller females because it is different than working with just males. Um, so whether I bring some in, um, I know that, that Duke Rufus, he has a couple girls who are – who are quite skilled, who are quite tall. Um, so maybe I go down there. Um, 
at Syndicate, they have a couple of big girls as well. Um, or whether I just bring some people in and, and keep my home base in Victoria. Um, I am definitely comfortable here and I, I like being here, but it is good to, to get yourself out of that comfort zone as well. So uh, those are kind of the deals we haven't figured out yet. Um, but I, all I know is I know how to train. My coaches know how to train me and um, we're going to be ready for, for whenever that first fight is. How long ago how, did you sign on to be part of this tournament? Uh, we've been talking about it for a while. Um, you know, pretty much since since New Year's, we had talked about, you know, signing with them and, and getting everything done. Um, and then, it, you know, has, has officially come together in the last few days, but um, we've been talking with them for, for quite a while. Was the, the fact that the tournament was going to be on ESPN and, of course, TSN in Canada any sort of uh, factor? Did that add any motivation to uh, for you? No, again, I don't really care. Uh, I just want to be fighting because that's what I love to do. Um, but it, it's a, definitely a huge bonus to be on ESPN, be on TSN um, for, you know, the publicity, also for my sponsors. Uh, it's going to be able to give back to them a little bit more to make sure that everyone, you know, not just people who have a specific service uh, will be able to watch. What was the hesitation on the UFC's part in terms of bringing you back? I mean, usually when somebody wins a belt in Invicta, it's almost like a, a meal ticket to the UFC. Do you know what ended up happening that was keeping them from bringing you back in? Uh, I don't know. My job is to fight, and uh, managers and, and promotions, their job is to get the fights booked. So I've been trying to do everything I can to put my best foot forward. Uh, you know, and a lot of that comes with having consistent, exciting fights and that's what I want to do, and that's why this PFL tournament really excites me because between, uh, you know, I think May or June and December, the potential is for up to five fights. And so that is what I'm super, super excited for. Uh, it's guaranteed fights, uh, guaranteed action, and I can't be more excited than, uh, than knowing that that's what the rest of 2019 looks for me. One thing that's really cool about your story is you – called out Ronda Rousey back when she was in her heyday. You called out Cyborg when you were in Invicta. You wanted to fight Cyborg. And now you're basically going after Kayla Harrison. This is your mindset. You, you want to go for whoever's at the top and you want to take them down. Well, I don't think Kayla's at the top. I mean, Kayla, in the PFL's mind, is their golden star, but she's had three fights. So, really, I'm the one who's at the top here. Yes, I'm going up weight classes, but she should be the one looking to, to take me off the list. How how big is Kayla? I mean, 155 is not a typical weight class for uh, women's MMA at a professional level. Uh, do you know if she does she cut from like 175, 180? Do you know why she is insistent on fighting at lightweight? Uh, I have no idea. I do know that I, I've heard because uh, you know I've been following her fights and she's been definitely making some waves and and I'm really happy for it. It's been neat to see you know a promotion outside of Invicta and the UFC uh, really pushing. Uh, at least one female, and it's been hard, I think, to find her opponents because 155 is quite a large division, which is why most people have come up to fight in this tournament. But she's also said that she doesn't really want to cut weight. Um, so I don't, I don't know if she is maybe 160 and just does a really small cut. I think that she said she could do 145, um, but she just thinks it's healthier to not cut weight. Um, I really don't know. No clue. <laughs> when that press release came out, the two names that stuck out obviously were yourself and Kayla. What do you know about the rest of the field? Is there anybody that uh, you've you've tracked uh, previously from this list? Uh, I just saw the list uh, like a few minutes ago. Um, I mean, Larissa Pacheco, she fought in the UFC at 135 uh, and then did like the tough show at 145. 
So I know her, like I know of her. Um, the other girls, for the most part, I've never heard of ever. Um, so I'll be, you know, looking into them. And I'm sure that, you know, j- just because they've, it seems like there's quite a few that are in the Thai boxing world, um, you know, so good strikers, which uh, makes it fun for me. Uh, and they'll be, you know, working around their height and their their strengths and working to my strengths. So um, I just have to look farther into them because as of right now, um, I don't know who they are. Well, Sarah, a very cool opportunity. I think that uh, everybody can agree that they were looking to find a real challenger for Kayla Harrison, somebody that they knew would test Kayla Harrison, and you are definitely uh, that person. In fact, like you said, she probably is, is going to have to test you because you have 25 career fights. She's got three. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, the PFL is already off to a pretty cool start uh, to the year. The season begins in May, and uh, as mentioned, it'll be on TSN up here in Canada and uh, ESPN in the U.S. Yeah, it's great. And to, to come out on International Women's Day, I mean, it's uh, pretty fitting that, that they announce the, the eight women who are going to be part of this. And I can't wait to hear who I get to fight first, when I get to fight, uh, and how that's going to play out, because uh, I'm definitely looking looking to get into those finals and whatever pathway that looks like uh, and make that million dollars. And for a million dollars in Victoria, you can buy like half of a house, right? You can buy like half of a <laughs> condo. <laughs> Well, at least it'll be something. Uh, well, Sarah, thanks so much for this. We really appreciate it and uh, look forward to it, to watching you uh, and your success in this tournament. Thanks so much, Aaron. Appreciate it. And there you have it. That's the TSN MMA show for this week. One last thing I want to touch on before we uh, wrap this baby up, and also thank you to Sarah Coffin for joining us on the show. Yoel Romero on the uh, TS, uh, sorry, on the uh, Ariel Hawani show on Monday. He said something that I thought was uh, was very interesting, which was that he had heard Paulo Costa was flagged for an anti-doping violation by USADA. Now, since then, his management has come out and said that's not the case. What's interesting about this is why, if he did fail a USADA test, why is Yoel Romero's team being alerted to this? And why is Yoel Romero making this public? Because I thought the whole idea behind this whole thing was that when you test positive for USADA for a, whatever, you're flagged for a positive test or an anti-doping violation or whatever it is, you're supposed to have confidentiality. That's the new policy. The new policy is they don't release anti-doping violations until it goes through the process. So if that process hasn't happened, why are other fighters being given confidential information about other fighters? And I think that's something to consider. If you're Paulo Costa's management, if, if he has, in fact, tested positive, which they have denied, this is something to keep in mind because I think that that's, that's again, that's confidentiality, and I don't think that that's fair. I don't think that's fair to Paulo Costa that now his name is going to get dragged through the mud, true or not, because confidentiality may have been breached. And that, that's, that's what interested me about uh, that particular situation. Well, thank you for tuning in this week. I think Joe might be back with us next uh, next week. I got to check the uh, glory schedule. Uh, it's March break here. I'm spending a lot of time with my kids uh, this week, so this was the only day I was able to do this. Uh, I don't think Joe was available, so hopefully Joe and I will reconnect next week and we can uh, we can talk more about this UFC London card. And uh, what's coming up after this UFC London card? Let's let's take a look. See here. I'm always trying to figure this stuff out. So next the week after. Thompson versus Pettis in uh, Nashville. That's a really good card. There's some good fights on that one. 
the will. I will touch on that. But until then, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another edition of the TSN MMA Show. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.